Hi, hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Future in Finance podcast series. If you're listening to this on Spotify, welcome back. If you're seeing this for the first or second time on YouTube, also welcome back. It's great to have you guys. If you've got no idea what we do, we help you pass your CMAP exams, basically. So we walk through one topic of the textbook every week. And so far, we are up to topic 15 out of 25 of this textbook. So this week, we're going to be talking about the main advice areas. I usually kick this off by talking a little bit about what's been going on this week with Future in Finance. Uh, So what has been going on this week with Future in Finance? Uh, Oh, we've got the YouTube channel and there's some free topics on there as well. So one thing that I'd noticed with a lot of different CMAP providers is that nobody wants to give you any free help at all whatsoever, which is kind of the thing that I'm trying to change. There are a couple of different providers that will say, look, we'll give you one free topic of learning if you give us your inside leg measurement, your name, your address, and three years address history. Um, So instead, I've uploaded all of topic one from the masterclass, which is my fast track course, onto YouTube. So you can find it on the YouTube channel. Search for Future in Finance. You won't find it straight away because it's a brand new channel, but it is there. If you can't find it, you can message me on Instagram, on TikTok, on LinkedIn, uh, at hello at future in finance or go onto the website which is cmap.com i do still have spaces left for the masterclass for september and october so if you've been living under a rock and you've got no idea what i'm talking about i am running three launch fast track courses so it's the five day courses for cmap one it runs monday to friday and usually they're about 600 quid but because i'm launching it and i'm basically asking for feedback you get it for £199. Bargain. It's a bargain. Uh, you also get a pass guarantee and a money back guarantee. So if you don't pass your exam, you can sit the course with me as many times as you need to, but you get all the recordings anyway. So you probably don't want to spend another week with me, which would be fair enough. Hopefully you won't even need to, but you do get the recordings for life. You get instant access to an e-learning platform for life as well. And if you've sat the course and within seven days you go, do you know what? I just thought that was a bit shit. <laughs> you can ask for your money back and I'm not going to ask you any questions. I might ask you for a little bit of feedback, but I'm not going to be like, no, how dare you? I thought you really enjoyed yourself. If you're interested, go to cmap.com, look for the masterclass, find me on Instagram at Future in Finance, on TikTok at Future in Finance UK, because somebody had already taken Future in Finance and done nothing with it, which was very infuriating. But I think that's pretty much all the updates for this week. I can't think of anything else. All the housekeeping done. Oh, people keep liking and reviewing on Spotify. Please keep doing that. I've got loads of five-star reviews, which is an absolute delight. If you're on YouTube and you're watching it, please leave comments as long as they're nice, because if you say (laughs) mean things, we will get really upset about it. But that's where all the housekeeping done. So if you're on Spotify, you're about to hear a nice jingle. If you're on YouTube, you probably won't, because I have no idea how to add it into the video. But... Cue intro music. So this week, we're talking about topic 15 of the textbook, which is the main advice areas and by the end of this topic we should have a really good understanding of the main areas of financial advice so this is stuff like budgeting protection borrowing savings and investments later life planning and probably some other stuff but what i've just noticed is that my screen is all the way over there with my notes on and i can't reach it without completely messing with everything so i'm going to do a quick scroll down and hope for the best and now we are not going to get through all of those objectives 
in this episode because we'd like to just commit 20 to 30 minutes somewhere there or thereabouts to this. If you did want a comprehensive study guide and you wanted something that you could listen to, I do offer those in audio study files for just a tenner. So you can go to the website, but I just wanted to let you guys know that this isn't everything. So you don't get the whole topic. Do not just use this podcast or this YouTube channel for your learning because you will miss bits. So the best way to wrap your head around this topic is going to be to think about your own financial situation. I know that we said that this last week as well, and that put the fear of God into you, Maria. Yes, yes, it did. Oh, by the way, I didn't introduce my uh, my co-host. I'm terribly sorry. This is Maria. She is my best mate. She's a money muggle, has no fucking idea about finances or about CMAP. So she's like my, what's the word that they use? Acid test. Acid test. There we go. Maria, the most delightful acid test you've ever seen. Thank you. Thank you very much. And then at the end of this podcast series, I'm going to ask her to sit the exam. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's news to me. <laughs> Did you want your failure your, your failure rate to just... Yeah, yeah. dip. I'm at a strong 100% with my students. At you the would minute, not so. be if I sat the exam. Cool. Okay, so Maria will not be sitting the exam at the end of this podcast yeah. series. She's just here to make it more enjoyable. I'll tell you what, if you set a, set a goal for subscribers on the YouTube channel... Mm-hmm or listeners or whatever you do, because I don't fully understand the YouTube channel. Okay. Um, and if we get to so many, I will sit the exam. How do you feel about 500? <laughs> How many have we got? <laughs> Six. When's, when, when's the exam? Deadline? The exam is, there is no deadline. The oh, exam shit. runs forever. The exam runs forever. Um... I don't know. I mean, if anyone comes up with a decent number of people and a decent timeline, we'll take it into consideration and we'll... I think 500 people in six months is well ambitious and well unlikely, so if we can get that... In six months? Yeah, that's 100 new subscribers. I'm so like... just in time for our birthdays, are we sitting the fucking exam? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. You are welcome. So if you could subscribe, <laughs> like, comment that you can't wait to watch Maria sit the exam, that would be great. <sighs> oh, God. But this one very much does follow off from topic 14. So it's about you as a financial advisor, giving sound advice and making sure that you put your clients in the best possible position. So not doing what you've just done. Exactly. And <laughs> <laughs> um, so <clears throat> it's working off the stuff that we've already studied, like life insurance, like um, critical illness cover, pension products. It's basically taking all of that knowledge and going, okay, cool, I understand those topics, but how do I apply them in a real-life situation? And that's where topic 15 comes in. So the first thing that we need to talk about is everybody's favourite thing, budgeting. Now, this is something that you are either taught to do when you were younger and you take it on and you're just the budgeter. You just love a good spreadsheet and that's me. Or you weren't given that kind of education at any point and you reach the age of 30 and you're like, cool, but how do you work? Like, how do I know that there's enough money in my bank account? So two types of people in this is why we complement each other so well. The irony being that I had family that worked in the financial sector too. So just leapfrogged over that particular learning environment. So kids, kids, people, (laughs) teach your kids, teach your friends. If they don't know what budgeting is, it will probably change their life or at least save them from some sort of financial hardship at some point. Definitely. I'm going to work off the understanding that we all know what budgeting is. It's making sure that you've got enough money to cover what's going out with what's coming in. That's it. In really simple terms, you can break it down even further. It is your job as a mortgage advisor to make sure that your clients, if they don't budget or if they don't know how to budget, because not everybody does, 
you have to be the person that goes, okay, can this person reasonably afford this mortgage? Because they might never look at their bank statements. They might have no idea. So you're like their budget sensei. Budget sensei. Yeah. So you're like, okay, you don't budget. Oh, but doesn't this go back to last week where it's like, believe them, but confirm what they're saying. So if they say they definitely do budget, they can budget, they've got it. Mm -hmm. This is where you go. I believe you, Greg. I am just going to have to confirm this. Yes, that's exactly it. I did learn something, something, I retained something. There we go. Okay. Um, can I politely ask you to speak louder for the microphone? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> um, so exactly what Maria said, you need to make sure that a mortgage is affordable for a customer, but you also need to make sure that what they're telling you about their finances is accurate. There's something called a stress test with mortgages. So when you work out what a customer's affordability is for their mortgage, let's say, for example, it's four times their annual salary is what they can borrow. You break that down into monthly payments and then you look at what they earn per month and go, OK, what percentage of that does that take up out of what they earn? You need to be able to apply a stress test. So this is when you mess with the interest rate levels, which is exactly what's happening in the real world at the minute. Interest rates have skyrocketed and people cannot afford to pay their mortgages stress set stress tests will have taken place in these instances but nobody anticipated interest rates to be as high as they are now so you do a stress test you mess around with the interest rates and you go okay if interest rates went up three percent which is a really big deal could the customer still reasonably afford this mortgage okay what is this if you're not on a fixed rate um yes well any customer, regardless of what kind of mortgage product they take out, has to undergo a stress test because at some point your fixed rate will end. So if you took out a mortgage uh, so two it's years just ago, the board. yeah, cool. If you took out a mortgage two years ago, you were well happy with your interest rate. It was a fixed rate and it was a bargain. You're coming out of your fixed rate now, and now you are in the real world of mortgage rates where no one can afford to pay their mortgages because interest rates have gone up so much. Right. There was a guy on BBC News last week who was saying his fixed rate term has just ended and his monthly mortgage repayments have gone up £750 a month. And this guy wasn't living in like a three-storey townhouse in London. It was, you know, Shit. like a three-bed semi. So middle of the road, your average Joe, literally. Yeah. And he's just been priced out of his own house. And this is why it is so important to make sure that you are checking that e-customers can afford their houses. Because a lot of the time they would be blinded by the fact that they absolutely fucking love this house. Yeah. So they come and they go, okay, yeah, it's the top end of my budget, but I love it and I'll make it work. And it's your job to be the fun sponge in this situation and go, okay, you can make it work now, but a 2% rise in interest rates and all of a sudden you cannot Homeless. afford. Yeah. So that's a big part of the job. It's a big part of your job. Um, there is an argument that they talk about in the textbook that basically says, how important is budgeting now? Credit is so readily available. So we used to work off weekly and monthly budgets. Oh. Yeah. Um, it mentions it in the textbook, so I'm going to mention it here. I, I, don't, I disagree because I think that is entirely dependent on how capable you are of getting credit. What does your credit score look like? And it's only one missed payment or one mistake or even someone stealing your identity. And that's all it takes to absolutely bugger you for credit. Mm -hmm. So if you're relying on the fact you've got a great credit score, that's fine. Right up until it's not. 
Exactly. So there's the argument in the textbook. I personally don't agree with it. It is down to personal preference. And I would probably say as a mortgage advisor, you shouldn't be so blasé about people being able to take out (laughs) extra credit. But who am I to question the textbook? Next on the objectives, we're going to talk about what family protection needs might a client have. And I feel like we talk about this every week. I feel like you're going to be sick of hearing about it as well. But it's just because it's so important. So there's a massive over-exaggeration on it. So In my notes, just there on the screen, it says sometimes shit happens and it's true. I'm going to pause this and be like, if you've undergone anything recently where you feel like any of this is going to upset you, you don't have to watch it. You can pause it. You can come back to it. Like Skip ahead. Yeah, come back to this episode another day when you're feeling a little bit more chipper. Because we need to talk about you as an advisor having a conversation with a person being like, okay, everything is great and you're buying a house and you've got a wife and two kids and a white picket fence and a sausage dog. But what if one day something happens? You have to be the person that goes. I know nobody wants to talk about this, but we have to talk about this because you need to be protected. So when you speak to a client, you find out whether they've got a partner, whether they've got children, whether they plan on retiring early or if they have a pension, if they've got any savings, you find out about all of this stuff. And you have to find out to make sure that the mortgage that they're getting is the most suitable product. So Say, for example, you've got a client who's 40 who wants to take out a 25-year mortgage term, but they want to retire at 50. All of a sudden, it's a completely different conversation because you need to ask, okay, what's your retirement income going to be? And can you still afford this mortgage when you retire? Because you would assume taking out a 25-year mortgage, they're going to retire at 65, but that's not everybody's plan. So that's just an example of why it's so important to ask all the really important questions. Um and make sure they've got the right level of cover. One of the most important things is mortgage protection cover. So if it's a solo individual, they tend to care less. And that's not because they're more selfish. That's just because they don't have anybody that would potentially be left financially destitute. Yeah. Should they get hit by a bus on the way to work, it doesn't matter. They're not going to care about the mortgage payments because they're dead. So it's the people who have families, who have people who are financially dependent on them. So whether that's children It might be a partner that would need their income as well to be able to help keep making the mortgage payments. Um, There's loads of different examples of this. It might be a parent who is elderly and who is now financially dependent on you as well. You're a carer. Yeah. If something were to happen to you, you would want to put things in place to make sure that that person would be cared for, whoever they are. So, I mean, it's a well-sensitive subject for me because a similar thing happened to me last year. My mum passed away really unexpectedly and it luckily she had a really good life insurance policy in place um and it meant we didn't have to worry about funeral cover we didn't have to worry about her mortgage getting paid off it was all sorted had that not been the case as her immediate family because she was on her own me and my sister would have been in a completely different situation where all of a sudden we're left with a house that's mortgaged and a funeral that was like ten thousand pounds to pay for like it does happen and people always think it'll never happen to me And as an advisor, all you can do is advise. All you can do is say, look, I know that this is a difficult conversation, but I just want to make sure you've thought about it. If they go, yeah, don't worry, I'm going to live forever. You've done your bit. As long as you've stressed enough, that is all that you can reasonably do. And you will absolutely get customers that just are just not bothered. Generally speaking, if they're people who do have dependents, they're going to be much more open to having the conversation and protecting people. And you can always say, you know, this is the most selfless thing that you will ever do because it's got no benefit to you whatsoever. (laughs) Actually, what you're doing is protecting the people that you love. But it's a massively important topic. It's massively covered in the textbook. 
and that's that bit really boxed off. The other thing that you talk about is sickness cover and illness cover, which again, we've spoke about before. So can do they need cover for a loss of income? If they broke a leg, could they still work? If they got a terminal illness, they'd probably want to pay out that paid off their mortgage and maybe a cash sum to box off all your bucket list before you died. Yeah. All that kind of stuff, a lump sum to pay for medical treatment, not so much relevant in this country unless you did want to go private, but it is still an option. Oh, though, haven't they, uh, haven't they said that they're going to start using private companies to cut NHS waiting times? Of course they are. So, this is know, how we're heading towards privatisation of the NHS. I don't want to say that people need to vote, but maybe people need to <laughs> think vote. about voting. Yeah. Although somebody said make it less political and we just can't seem to do it. I will say, repeat something that I've read somewhere, I'm not taking credit for it. And it's when somebody says, I'm not into politics, that is a privileged position that you enjoy. Mm -hmm. If you are not into politics, it is because you enjoy a privileged position. Politics affects everyone and everyone should care about it. It should be more accessible, mm -hmm. definitely but you can't not care about politics or saying I'm not political is a very, very privileged statement because you can afford to not care. Yeah. And I was one of those people. I was one of those people. In fact, the, my main motivation for voting was the fact that somebody pointed out to me that this was a few years ago, that women had actually not had the right to vote yet for a hundred years. And I was like, what? Yeah. Now I'm gonna vote just because I could. Um, so that's what that's what made me political, so to speak. So in short, we're not gonna be less political. If you don't Sorry. like it, <laughs> you can go and find a CMAP education elsewhere and probably pay a little bit more for it. Well, definitely more than this because this is completely free. Um, yeah, way more than this. Um, do do people want to get cover for unemployment? So you can get cover to cover you if you lost your job. Oh. generally doesn't apply to self-employed people and I'll be honest it's not something that most people would look at taking out it sometimes comes as an add-on if you get critical illness like sickness and critical illness cover you can get an unemployment add-on it is pretty pricey and okay. they've usually got really extensive terms and conditions because if you've got an employment cover and you're having a really bad Monday you can be like <laughs> I've got an employment cover I quit <laughs> YOLO not going to make you eligible for those payments so it's something that you can look into or direct them to the right place to look into if they'd be interested, but it's not particularly common these days anyway. The next thing on the agenda is protection for businesses. So businesses need to get protection for certain kind of stuff. And it's not really something I've ever thought about until I looked in the textbook before, but think about how a business or even especially a small business mm -hmm. might be impacted if a key person in that business either suddenly died or became ill and unable to work so if you're you know if you're a five person business and you've got one guy that does all the sales right across the country and he has all of the contacts and all the knowledge yeah if he gets hit by a bus on the way to work one day the business will be impacted quite significantly so businesses can get key person insurance I, that's kind of I mean, I understand it and it makes sense, but it's kind of creepy, isn't it? It's like, Greg, we're going to insure you because we're bollocksed without you. So Greg now has a life insurance policy. Janet in accounts is looking off in Greg. That's exactly what it is. I feel a Midsummer Murders episode. <laughs> <laughs> Lucan didn't like the look of that either. No, I'm sorry. 
Um, so a life insurance policy is what businesses can put out. They're generally pretty difficult to calculate, but as a general bit of guidance, a level of cover would be five or 10 times their annual salary. So, or they can look at that key person's estimated contributions to the business. It's a really complex calculation. You are not going to get asked about it for the purposes of your exam. So I wouldn't worry. You just need to know that there are a few different ways that they can calculate those kind of insurance products. And you might get it until they're no longer a key person. So if the business is expanding and you know that actually in three years time, you bench on having an entire sales team that all that are all as capable as Greg, you just put the insurance in cover for three years. It's going to be cheaper than going, no, we're going to need this person up until they retire Forever. or they die. At that point, it becomes a little bit more expensive and it becomes a longer term product. Obviously, you never get that money back if you never make a claim. It is just something that is there to protect the business. Yeah. Similarly, you've got looking at the death of a business partner. So, you know, in suits, when they say, oh, somebody's making partner Mm -hmm. or any other law related TV drama. Only law. Yeah, because it only ever seems to be like accountants and solicitors that make that make partner. And I don't think. No, I might be misguided, but I thought a partner in law was. Something else. Something else. Well, maybe it is. That's the only thing I could think of. But that partner in a law firm. Yeah. Lucan likes the idea of that. <sighs> partner in a law firm or any other kind of business. Um, you can put in place arrangements that specifies what should happen to each partner's share of that business should they die. So if me and you went into business together, we had 50% shares of the company. Mm-hmm. If you unexpectedly popped it... Mm-hmm. What happens to your share of that business? Do I just do I just get them? Do you have family that might want them? In which case, what you would do is you would put a life insurance policy in place mm-hmm. to cover the cost of those shares. Yeah. So that when you died, your family would be given the money to buy those shares. Oh, interesting. Or you might put something in place that says, if I die, this person just gets my shares or it's split between the directors of the company. If there's more than, you know, more than one person, like if there's 10 people on a board of directors, you would have something in place that says, okay, cool. If this person dies, we're going to split it between all 10 directors. In which case you put a life insurance policy in place that says we'll cover the cost for it to go to all those directors. But in that instance, it would be the business's responsibility to put that insurance plan in place. It wouldn't be your responsibility because you don't benefit from that in any way. And your family's not going to benefit from it either. Right. With me? With you. Perfect. We are storming through, which is really good because we are almost out of time. Already? So businesses can get critical illness cover for both the business and the employees as well. And when I say the business, I'm talking about sole traders here. So this is somebody, think about a plumber. I was just going to say. The business is critical. The business has got an awful head cold. (laughs) So you're a plumber, you're a one-man band, you're very successful at plumbing, and (laughs) you get sick. Not only do you have a loss of income, which you get an insurance insurance policy to cover, but you can also get additional cover because as a sole trader, if you can't plumb, people are going to look for another plumber. You've got increased competition, and it's likely that you're going to lose out on all of those clients. It's then going to cause you additional stress and delay you getting back to work. So with sole trader business insurance, they can account for those extra stresses and put 
financial measures in place to support you further. I get it. So it would cover the loss of your income, basically. Yeah. Fab. Um, what are we moving on to next? Oh, the next part of the textbook. So we need to look at the key considerations that are in relation to borrowing. So I'm hoping that you've all got a really good idea of this anyway, but you need to be asking the questions like, first of all, is that mortgage affordable to that customer? Have you done the stress test, which we mentioned earlier? Is it the right type of mortgage for the customer? So it might be an interest only mortgage, if it is. Have you looked at what repayment vehicle they've put in place and have you checked all that? Do you remember what a repayment vehicle is, Maria? A way of paying off the lump sum of their mortgage at a set point that they've decided. So for a lot of people, it might be on retirement when they get their pension access. Um, but winning the lottery is not an appropriate response. Ladies and gentlemen, if you ever wanted evidence that my style of education works, that was beautiful and so affirming. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Still not going to pass the exam. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you've got an interest-only mortgage, you need to check that the repayment vehicle is solid. If it's a repayment mortgage, is it the right type for the customer? So what's their risk attitude like? Do they just want something that is a fixed rate mortgage? So they pay the same amount every month, irrespective of what, go what is going on in the market. Do they want something a little bit more flexible that where they can make extra payments towards their mortgage, but that might come at the cost of it being linked to interest rates? Mm -hmm. There are a bunch of different options. You don't need... if if I'm saying all of this and you're like, I am behind, what is she talking about? Do not worry, you will come to this more in CMAP two and three. It's not really included in CMAP one. This is more the, the law, the regulation, the legislation stuff for CMAP one. In CMAP two and three, you'll talk a lot about particular mortgage products and that will put you in really good stead to actually go into a career in mortgage advice. So if any of what I just said made your fingers and toes tingle a little bit with fear, <laughs> don't worry about it, we will come on to it. Uh, as we've already mentioned, are they covered in case something goes wrong? And have they considered the market volatility? So if you're a mortgage broker or advisor right now, you'll be like, oh, have I spoken to them about what a shit show the markets are and what might potentially happen? Because that would be really important. Okay, guys, the last thing that we're going to talk about today is what happens if somebody is no longer able to pay their mortgage. So it's a really real possibility that at some point in your career, you might get a customer that rings and goes, I can't. I can't make can't ends meet anymore. Could be for a number of reasons. Maybe they've lost the job. Maybe they've split up with a partner. Maybe interest rates have skyrocketed. There are options. And this is a real possibility that you might one day need to talk about. So you're not counsellors. Um, you're not counsellors. There's only so much that you can advise. The first point of call would always be citizen's advice. So if you don't know what citizen's advice is, other than really difficult to say. Yeah. It's something that was put in place to help give people free legal guidance on stuff like this. So it's not just financial stuff. If you're having like problems with, I don't Anything. know, custody of your child, you can go to citizens advice. There's loads of different options. I think it's, what is it? Half an hour they give you yeah, advice free. and then they can point you in the direction of more resources. They are really helpful for pretty much everything yeah so they are the first point of call that you would say if you don't know what to advise always go with citizens advice there are options like debt relief orders ivas and bankruptcy we're not going to dig deep into those in this topic we have covered them in a previous topic so you can always skip back to that episode if you're not sure what i'm talking about um and then there's sometimes oh there's step change charity as well so those guys are the second port of call after citizens advice 
and sometimes you will hear about government assistance schemes. This is very rare. I've only heard of the first government assistance scheme this week, which is they're saying to people who can't afford their mortgage payments, they can now switch it to interest only for six months. Okay. Um, and in lockdown, you had you don't have to pay your mortgage for six months. Yeah. So they, there are things like that. If you're working in the industry, you will absolutely definitely hear about them anyway because it is your job to keep up to date with that kind of stuff. But there are always going to be options. And we are well out of time. We have covered quite a lot in today's topic. Um, I hope that you've learned a lot from it. As always, if you have any questions, if there was anything that did work, that didn't work, if you just want to find out more about the sausage dog, we can do that too. Um, please do say hi. It makes my day every time I get a message from somebody that's like, I've been studying from a CMAP and I've been falling asleep in a textbook and now I found your podcast and it was the best thing ever. Thank you so much to everybody that sends those messages. It genuinely means the world. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, all of that fun stuff. We've got the YouTube channel, which is Future in Finance. We've got Instagram, which is at Future in Finance, TikTok at Future in Finance UK, LinkedIn at Future in Finance. Although just follow me, Charlotte Hemingway. I tend to post most of my stuff on there anyway. And we have the website. There is so much free stuff on the website. So if you go to cmap.com, I've got the free Sunday study edit email, which is basically mock exam questions that go out every week, as well as some like fun facts about CMAP, if that's ever been a thing. Um, just put it your email now. in. You can unsubscribe at any time, but it is really useful. A lot of people really like that. I've got the free training that's already out on the YouTube channel. And then I have the paid for stuff. So if you want to get qualified really quick, I've got the masterclass. It's the five day fast track course. The first September dates are now sold out. I have announced another lot of dates for September and October, and you can bag your space for £199. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and you can bag your space for £199. After that, it goes up to £598 because that is what the market is priced at. And honestly, if I price it any lower, I feel like the London Institute of Banking and Finance might come at me. Also, somebody asked why I wasn't um, an authorised deliverer with the London Institute of Banking and Finance. And I'm really glad I remembered to mention this. It's because my course isn't ready yet. As soon as the course is ready... I have to contact them and ask them to come and sit one of the courses so that they can sign me off. I have already contacted them and they've told me that they are no longer accepting applications for authorised deliverers. So I don't know what that means, but I plan on finding out what that means and reporting back to everybody because I think it's really important. I know for a fact that my stuff is better than what's out there, than a lot of the recommended providers. And I know because... They are the inspiration for me making this course. I sat those courses. They ain't that good. They're so, the reason we're here. Exactly. <laughs> so please come and say hi. Please check us out. We've got the Fast Track course. We've got the audio study guide series. If you want to listen to something more like this and you want the complete comprehensive guide, you can get that. You can book an hour's one-to-one -one session with me. A lot of people do that before mock exam, before their exam day and we work through mock exam papers together. There is so much stuff. Go and check it out. Come and say hi. And please remember to tune in next week please tune in cue outro, outro music, music.